Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Hear now the word of the Lord. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing this morning to look at the book of Ephesians. Um, but I was recollecting last summer, not this time, not in June, but last August. Do you remember what was happening in our nation last August? Anybody remember what was going on in the United States back east? Anybody remember August of last year? Remember an argument over a statue? How about, does that refresh your memory? Did that make it out here, or am I only, is this an East Coast thing? Uh, if you remember, there was a riot that happened in Charlottesville over the, around the symbol of the Confederate General Robert E. Lee. And uh, if you remember, there was a white supremacist group that had gone in there and had a rally, and then there was a protest rally against that and it erupted into violence in Charlottesville. Now are you with me? This was last August. Well, a year. It feels like a long time ago to me, but I don't know. But it was last August, and and it was that week. It was that week in August that I was having breakfast with two leaders in our church, two of our leaders, and we were sitting down to breakfast that week. And uh, there, uh, Don was across the table from me, and Carrie was across the table from me. They were two of our leaders, and we were having breakfast together, talking about the church. But this had just happened, and I looked across the table at them, and I realized that uh, here are two of our leaders, uh, and Don and Carrie both grew up in the state of South Carolina. Uh, they're both retired. Uh, Carrie's a retired principal from a school. Don's a retired CIO uh, for, uh, for Black & Decker, and uh, they're sitting there across, and they're both retired and serving the church, and, and I looked at them, and they both grew up in South Carolina. They both grew up in uh, families that were in poverty. They both grew up in families that picked cotton in South Carolina. Uh, they both grew up in the same era, uh, pre-civil rights era in our country. And I, and I looked at them and I said, so, oh, I got to tell you one other thing. I try to tell you everything about them, but the one thing you need to know is that Carrie was African-American woman and Don was a white male. His last name was Lee. He is a direct descendant of Robert E. Lee. Carrie was a, her family were share, uh, I believe her, the term was sharecroppers, and his family were tenant farmers. 
which means they had some ownership in the land, whereas Carrie's family did not. They talked about their experiences growing up in South Carolina and how Carrie had to come in the back door, and whereas Don could go in the front door, the white, the, the white door, the, you know. And they talked about water fountains. They talked about growing up in this era. They talked about the fact that their parents both raised them to fear the other. Both parents. Not, not one or the other, but both parents had taught them stay away from those people. So when this happened, <laughs> and I had two of our leaders sitting across from me, I looked at them and I said, so what do you think? Think about this. <laughs> Direct descendant of that statue. And I said, what do you think, Don? What do you think of that? And he's like, well, I think that the statue represents for me history. That's what his name. He's like, it's history for me. This is part of my family's family background. This is a part of the history of our, and, and we understand this to be about states' rights. Now, I don't have a time to go into a sermon about whether the Civil War was about slavery or states' rights. I would just say that it was about slavery, not about states' rights. Uh, let's just stop there, all right? I won't go on with that. Um, so, but the point is this, is that Don is, is now sharing this, and Carrie, I, I just wish you all could be, I wish I could have brought you into this conversation. Carrie's sitting there, and she's listening to Don, and she's, she's like just, just touching him and just saying, yeah, listening, right? She wasn't angry, um, but she listened. And then I looked at Carrie, and I said, Carrie, wh- what do you think about that statue? And she said, it reminds me of my friend from high school. And I remember when they dragged him out of one of the shops in our town, they dragged him outside of town and they beat him to death and they killed him and nobody said a word about it. Nobody even lifted a finger to do anything or to bring justice for him. Nobody did anything about it. And so when I look at that statue, I look at pain, heartbreak, brokenness. And I could see Don sitting there, listening, saying, oh, I didn't know that, right? I wish you could see how they responded to each other in that conversation. It wasn't hatred, it wasn't bigotry, it wasn't intolerance, it wasn't, I can't, it wasn't argument, it wasn't disagreement. It was care, it was concern, it was listening to one another. And I looked at him, I asked him another question. I said to, you, I said to them, how do you do that? <laughs> because our world needs to do that. I just looked at him, I said, you, what are you doing <laughs> that allows you to do that, to listen to one another, to love one another, to care for one another, even though you have differing views about a statue? And then they began to share, well, we're friends. <laughs> we... Well, there, and then he began to explain there's one other thing that we share. We share faith in Jesus Christ. That it is our faith in Jesus Christ what has brought us together in the church. It's our faith in Jesus Christ that has brought us together. And they were in Bible study. I didn't know that they had been in Bible study together. That they had learned the scriptures together. And so they knew each other. They had a relationship with each other because they had a faith together. They had a relationship together because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's that same faith in Jesus Christ that said that calls them to love one another above the disagreement. So what they articulated to me was, we have faith and we love each other. (laughs) Even though we disagree, 
Even though we see things differently, even though we had different perspectives and different upbringings and different experiences, what was going on here in Carrie and Don was this. Paul, it says, the reason that he is praying for the Ephesians, did you see this? Verse 15 and 16. For this reason, ever since I heard about your what? Faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. These folks are the two marks of the Christian church. Faith and love. That is our faith that will bring us together. It is our faith that will bind us together, bond us together, bring us into the family of God. We learned that last week about our adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God. That is what brings us together as a family. Faith, adoption, inheritance of God's grace. That's what we share. But when we get to the community of faith, we have to learn, and I will stress the word learn, how to love each other. Can I get a witness this morning? See, I'm still learning how to love. I think Don and Carrie are still learning how to love. I learned how to love in a community of faith when I was asked to facilitate a MICA group out of Fuller Seminary back in Baltimore. And I I was a part of a group that was cross-denominational, cross-theology, cross-racial, cross-gender. So I was in a group, and I was in a group with a Korean pastor, female pastor, African-American pastors, female pastors, white, black, Korean. And, And we had this group, and we met together. And we met together during the Freddie Gray riots in Baltimore. Now, I will tell you that I learned a lot being in that group at that moment. It's like God orchestrated this. I felt like God would just say, man, I want to teach you some things. I want you to learn some things. And so as the Freddie Gray riots are going on, we're sitting at the table together, and one of the commitments that we had, because when you put a group like this together of pastors, of different denominations, different ethnic backgrounds, different you can bet there's some discussion and nobody holds back. And uh, so one of the commitments, and the reason is because one of the commitments, we had a commitment to, to worship and preaching and justice. And that was our commitment around the table. One of the commitments we made as a covenant together in our group was that no matter what discussion, no matter where our discussions went, no matter what we talked about at this table, we would come back to the table next time. And I learned some things because I kept going back to that table. You see, I think that's love. Does that make sense? That love keeps showing up. Love keeps going to the table. Love keeps showing up in those moments when it's difficult to show up. And having those discussions. And here, keep in mind, you need a little bit of my background. My brother's a police officer. I had another guy from our church that was a Baltimore City police officer who was standing in the middle of riots with one of the shields and the helmets and all that stuff, and here I am sitting with African-American pastors who are on the other side. So I'm getting, so as a pastor, I I get both sides, which makes my life great and difficult at the same time. But I sat at that table, and here's the thing. What kept us at that table? What kept us going to that table again and again and again and again that allowed me to learn how to love is that I was willing to go to the table. You, You know we have a table, right? Do you know what our table is? Do you you know what our table is? Our faith calls us to this table, right? And we keep showing up at this table every week. 
because we're still learning how to love and we need God's grace. Oh, do we need God's grace, right? So we keep showing up. That's part of being a church, folks. Part of being a church is having faith in Jesus Christ and keep showing up at the table because of love. Because we learn how to love when we keep showing up with people who may look different than us, act different than us, think different than us. We have to keep coming to that table. So those are the marks of a church. And the reason I picked Ephesians for this summer is because I want to spend some time talking about the life of church and what it looks to like to be the church. This is what it looks like to be the church. So Paul actually gives us two marks of the church, faith and love. He then goes on and he says that here's the primary task of the church. One of the primary, I would say one of the primary tasks, but one of the primary tasks of church, which is also our memory verse for this week. Uh, Anybody remember last week? Not yet? All right, good, work on it. So this week is going to be our memory verse. So let's read this verse out loud together. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Know him better. Because we need to know God better. (laughs) There's something about knowing God better that helps our faith and helps us how to love, learn how to love, right? As I know God better, I actually become better at some other things. So here's what I want to say to you. I've been... I wanted to do this last week and I didn't have enough time in the sermon. I probably overloaded you last week. My apologies. But notice there are three things. Let's talk about the three things that that Paul is praying for and asking for us to know God better about. And then I'm going to talk to you about how to study the Bible. Because when we know God better, we will love others better. (laughs) Right? I think there's a connection here. I think that as I learn about God's grace and love for me, it actually helps me to stay at tables and love other people better but I need to know that I am loved. But here are the things that Paul talks about. First, he says, the hope to which you were called, right? So he wants you to know that better, more. The riches of our inheritance, which we talked about last week, our riches of our inheritance is God's grace, right? Through the redemption of his blood, for the forgiveness of sins, according to the grace of him who lavished, or according to him who lavished grace upon us. Right? God, Paul's prayer is that we would know that more and better about how much we're loved by God. And the other prayer there is this incomparably, he says, an incomparably great power. That's, that's important. That is, that, is, that is accessible to us in Jesus Christ. This incredibly great power. Right? So that's his prayer. That, and he uses these words. He says that the eyes of our hearts, right, in that text, the eyes of our heart would be open to this. Now, I thought that was a strange way to say it. I don't have any eyes in my heart, right? But see, in the first century, your eyes, you received light into your eyes. And they, didn't, they weren't medical. They didn't take anatomy and physiology. But they, were like, they felt like whatever was going on inside of you was whether or not light was shining into you through your eyes and into your heart. Does that make sense? So they looked at it as, what are you shining into your heart? Think about it that way. That's what Paul's saying. What is, what is shining into your heart? What is in your heart? Is it, is it the hope of your calling? Is it God's grace that is lavished upon you? Is, is that what's shining into your heart? Is, is this calling and this grace? And then what else is it? And this power? Is this power shining into your heart? Isn't that good news? See, a lot of times we think we have to emanate something out. 
that we have to somehow put something out of us. And Paul is saying, no, I want this to be more and more in you. I want you to receive this. I want you to be open to it. I want you to be like this to these things. Because then as we know God better, see, as we know the hope better, as we know the inheritance better, as we know the power better, guess what happens to us? We then love better. We become people that are great at loving others. And so the one of the ways we do that, what I wanted to talk about last week was we need to get into God's word. That's also the other reason why we're doing a study on Ephesians this summer is that we need to look at God's word. I was talking with uh, Don, the guy I told you about earlier. He led one of our Bible study, men's Bible studies. And he came to me and he said, you know, we did this book, we did this book, we did this book, we read this book, we talked about this book, we read this other book. And he had this whole list of books that he had read in his men's group. I thought, that's awesome. He says, well, pastor, what book should we do next? And I looked at him and I said, well, have you ever thought about the Bible? <laughs> wow, uh, wow, that's like an earth-shattering discovery, right? You know, he thought, they hadn't thought about just opening up the Bible and studying the Bible. And he said, that's a good idea, pastor. Well, let's do that. <laughs> because I think there, there is time to read books and to read what other people have to say about the Bible, but then there's a time to study the Bible, <laughs> I think this is the time to study the Bible, about what it means to be the church. So here's how you study the Bible. This is Matt's version. It's actually a borrowed, stolen, remodified version from somewhere else I learned earlier in life. But I think if you want to know God better, if you want to be biblically intelligent, that's my line, right? That's the line. Biblically intelligent. You need to become a part of the CIA. You got it? CIA. I'm not talking about the Central Intelligence Agency, but I'm going to tell you three things to buy about Bible study, how to study the Bible. And you have your own methods. I know that some of you are much more learned than me or have other methods. But here's another method. You can use a simple method. You can use it when you get up in the morning. You can look at next week's passage. We're going to be looking into chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 next week. You can start there. C. What's the C stand for? Contemplate. I don't think we as Americans in our rushed microwave society spend enough time contemplating the scriptures. Another, the, the psalmist says to meditate upon God's word. That means, that doesn't mean read it and go about your day, which is what I do sometimes, but we're to meditate upon it. We're supposed to sit with it. We're supposed to contemplate it. So I would suggest that you do that, like sit with it. So here's a couple suggestions, because if you're like me, uh, I need something to do. And so I, here's what you could do. Read the text three times in different versions. You know, how many, there's so many versions of the Bible. We got the CEB, the NIV, the NRSV, the message version. You know, we can list out like 50 versions. So read it in different versions. Because when you read it in different versions, you actually start to see where there are different meanings and different things going on in the text, and so you can sit with it. The other thing is you might just stick with one version and read it through three times. There's a whole process called Lectio Divina, which you can look up online, that talks about just reading it through and contemplating the scripture. So I'd say, do that first. Take your time. Don't rush. That's C. I, interpret. That's really asking the question after you've contemplated, you can ask the question, what does this say? The next question is, what does this mean? right? I've read this. I've sitting with this, sat with this text. Now, what does it mean? How do I interpret it? What, what are the meaning? And I, this is where I'd suggest write some questions about the text. Start to pray about it. What is God saying here? Because this is God's revelation, right? Scripture is one of the ways that God reveals God's self to us. And so we have to sit with the revelation of God 
to get to know God better. And so we need to sit with it. We need to ask questions. We need to ponder it. We need to wonder about it. And here's the other thing I'm going to warn you. And this is a warning. Remember that context is queen, right? Or king. Because we live in a world that takes things out of context probably most of the time. I'm pretty sure of that. I am pretty sure that everything we hear is taken out of context. I am like, I'm not gonna like put money on it, but I'm pretty close to being 100% certain on this one. Because what we get is sound bites out of context. Everything we hear is a sound bite out of context. Think about that. Everything you see on social media, everything you see in the news, everything you see in the newspaper is one side. I always think there are three sides to every story. You didn't know there were three sides, did you? Did you know there are three sides to every story? There's my side, your side, and God's side. And so there's that perspective or where that person's seeing it from, and then there's this perspective, and then there's a perspective that God's seeing it from. And when we get in touch with God's perspective, I think it's a whole different perspective. We get caught up in this, right? That's why it's hard to have faith and love people. But I think part of it is we need to keep in mind that everything we're hearing from other, we'll put it, news sources, right? I find that if I dig a little bit deeper beyond those news sources, guess what happens? There's more truth there. We're just taking the sound bites and we're reacting to the sound bite that's taken out of context. So here's, all right, enough about that. All right, that's not the sermon, sorry. (laughs) Interpret the word, right? Keep it in its context. Don't take it out of context and use it for your purposes, right? Because that's the temptation. That's why I'm saying sit with it, contemplate, understand its meaning, but then keep it in context. (laughs) In your own personal life, in the world, in what the scripture is saying, the cultural context, the historical context, if you want to know more, go talk to Dr. Rob Wall. He'll tell you all about it. (laughs) Go to seminary. Then the last You want to guess what the A is? So C, contemplate, I, interpret. A is apply. Application, right. I'm saying apply. Application. You guys are with me. That's where I ask the question, what does this mean for me? (laughs) What is God asking me to do with this? What am I supposed to do differently as a result of this, right? And, And how does this affect my day? Is there something going on in my spirit that needs to be be adjusted or is my attitude need to be adjusted is there some action I need to take is there some step is there some prompting of the Holy Spirit where I'm supposed to go do something today next week have a conversation adjust my thoughts whatever so you got that CIA contemplate interpret apply so CIA and pray always pray we need all the prayer we can get so you got it Do you want to know God better? That's one way you can do that. So I've talked about the primary marks of a church, faith and love. We've talked about the primary, one of the primary tasks of the church is to know God better. But there's one more thing. And this is where I may go off script. And I'm actually going to have us pray, but here's, I'm warning you because we're going to pray, but the sermon's not going to be over. Does that make sense? So don't go like, oh, we're done, we're going on. No, no. We're going to pray, then Matt's going to say some more, and then we're going to pray again. So just a warning before you start, you know, hitching the wagon. Get a little hitch in your giddy-up, right? So 
the prime, who's the primary leader of the church? Jesus. Yeah, right. It's not me. Isn't that good news? That's good news for me. I hope it's good news for you. I am not the primary leader of the church. That's what Paul says in the text. Did you see that? Did you see it in the text? Did you see what he, he said? He said, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So all power has been given to Christ, and he is the head of the church. It goes on and says that Jesus is the head of the church. Our church. First free Methodist church. See, in that day and age, what Paul was doing was saying that what the Greeks were doing or the, uh, the Romans were doing, is going to the temple of Artemis, and they were naming the name of that goddess to get what they wanted. Artemis was their vending machine, spiritual vending machine, right? So they were saying to Artemis, hey, we will name your name if you give us what we want. And so when Paul says Jesus is the name above all other names, he's saying Jesus is over all that. <laughs> Jesus is above all that, <laughs> Jesus has a dominion and authority and power beyond that. So I, I connect this to what I would now, now know today as Wiccanism or Wiccan uh, idea because they, are, they embrace nature and they believe that there's power within nature, that they can harness that power within nature to do good in the world, right? So they're depending upon their own power and they're depending upon the power of nature and I think that's made of what's going on there in the temple there in Ephesus. It's a, that's the closest thing, not exactly, but I can think of today. So, but Jesus is over that. Jesus is the name above that name. Jesus is the one who's in power. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that's at work in Christ's church, whom Jesus is the head of. Are you with me? Do you agree with me? Yes. You agree with me. All right, I'm just checking. Because now I've got a tougher question. Do you believe that God's still at work at First Free Methodist Church? I do. But I want to pause here and say, it's been a discouraging season, hasn't it? I mean, I've, when I interviewed to come to First Free Methodist Church, I was meeting with the search committee and in that time with them, I don't know if I shared, I apologize if I shared this before, but in that time with them, I just, in the middle of the interview, I, I just sensed this discouragement in the church. I, I just sensed it. And now I've been here seven months and I feel it. Does that make you with me? So I've sensed it, but now I feel it now that I'm here. I feel the discouragement sometimes. And I feel the encouragement too. I, so don't, it's not all the, and I'm happy, first of all, don't take, don't read anything into what I'm about to say. I am here. I'm not going anywhere. I am not leaving. I, God asked me to come here. I will stay here. I will keep showing up at this table. That's part of faith and love. I am not going anywhere, right? Thank you. But that's not about me. It's about what God wants to do in our church. But to do that, I think we need to just pause and pray. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you to pray, but in a different way. I'm not going to pray. We're, we're going to talk about God's power in the church. But 
I want us to pray because I sat down with the pastors this week and we debriefed the last two years of our church's history. <laughs> and I, 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 I don't like saying this out loud, but I think we need to just acknowledge this. Over 200 people are no longer worshiping with us since 2016. So in the past two years, over 200 people have, for one reason or another, gone to another church or gone nowhere. And I think we just need to say that out loud and just acknowledge that that's happened, right? That that, that happened here, right? And we're still here. <laughs> but that happened. And so what, my prayer right now for you is the question for us as a church right now is how do we respond to that? That's where I'm at. How do we respond to this? So I think the first thing we need to do is pray. (laughs) So my prayer, I'm gonna invite you to pray this morning, and I just want us to pray for the people who are no longer here. I don't know what God's doing in their lives, but let's pray for them. I don't know why all the reasons they're not here, but let's bless them. Let's pray for them. Let's pray that God would work in their lives wherever they've gone, whatever God is doing. Let's pray God's blessing upon them because I said we're ascending church, (laughs) right? Sometimes God sends people in different ways and scatters the tribes and we just need to name that and then also pray for those people. So let's just be in an attitude of prayer. Let's close our eyes and I'm gonna invite you just right now, either in your heart of hearts or if you wanna say it out loud, just the name of a person that you wanna pray for that's no longer a part of the church, that you just wanna say, God, I thank you for the time we've had. I thank you for the relationship we had and I pray your blessing upon them wherever they are today, wherever they've gone. So just, just name that person in your heart or out loud. Pray, pray for, for Brian. Matt. Mandy. God, we give these people to you. And God, we also remember the people that have gone before us, the saints that have gone on to heaven today. We remember those who, were, who we've celebrated their life and we just lift up the names of those people who've gone on to heaven, who've, who've not left our church because they are going to another church, but well, they are going to another church. It's this big church in They're a part of your people, and God, we just name those people too. Those people have gone on before us. We think of Gary, and we think of uh, Mr. Peterson. God, we thank you that you are a God who blesses us that God, you are with each of those people we've thought about today, named in our hearts, named out loud. And God, we we send them and we pray for them that you would be at work in their lives, that you would grow their faith wherever they are. If they're to come home here to this church, we pray, God, that you would lead them back, that you would work in their lives to do whatever needs to be done, a conversation, a prayer. So Lord, we just pray for them today. And we say it in the name of Jesus, amen. Prayer number one. Still with me? Because I'm going over time. I'm going, we're going long today. I'm, I'm, so anyway, I think about this power that Jesus has been given. 
And when we feel discouraged, we feel powerlessness. But that's not what Paul's prayer is, is it? He said that that Jesus is the head of the church and the same God who raised Jesus from the dead, the same power is at work in the church, our church. So I need you guys and me, we all need together, need a little bit of a mental adjustment here to stop thinking we're powerless or to stop thinking that it's under our power that God is going to do something here. Does that make sense? I want you to know something. Here's the thing, I think, you know, take a light bulb. And I, I don't know if this is right. You can fact check me on this, and I could be wrong. I'm not a, I need a, a physics teacher right now. But I, I estimate, that's why I question my math, it would take 81.5 volt batteries strung together to light that one light bulb. Think about it, all right? 80 D or C batteries put together in a line and at the end, if we put that light bulb on the end of those 80 batteries, we would be able to light the light bulb. Does that make sense? And I feel that way sometimes as a Christian. Can I just be honest? Like, I'm the battery. Like, I'm a battery, and if I just string enough people together with me that we can light a light bulb, we'll light the world. You are the salt and the light. We think, I got to do this under my power, Right? I got to do this under my energy, under my ability, my authority, my dominion, my power, right? (laughs) That's not what Paul said. Paul said, Jesus has the power. Jesus is the one who is powerful. Now, get this. The sun, the middle of our solar system, in one hour of sunlight, could power, stay with me, 2,880 trillion light bulbs, in one hour. That's enough power to light a light bulb for every person on the planet for their entire lifetime in one hour of sunlight. Think about it. So you'd have your own personal light bulb that would be lit for your entire life for seven billion people from the creation of the sun. Who created the sun? The S-U-N. God, right? You're still with me, it's still the Sunday school answer. It's still either God or Jesus or the Spirit, right? So it's like, but think about that. And how many stars did God create? Trillions. I just want to put that in perspective here. You and I on our own or even strung together can only light one light bulb. But God's power could light up the lives of seven billion people on this planet. And he's created trillion other power sources. That power is, so when I look at that, I go, raising somebody from the dead, no brainer for God, right? If that same power is at work in God's church, then that's good news, folks, isn't it? Is that not good news? That you and I don't have to string ourselves together to light one light bulb, We have enough power in God's church as Christ is the head, the powerful one, to power all that God wants to do in ministry here. All of it. All of it. But it's going to take another prayer. 
I don't know if you'll like this one. And the prayer is surrender. Surrender. Last year, or no, last fall, I had to surrender my credentials to the United Methodist Bishop. I walked in the bishop's office and I surrendered my ordination certificate. It wasn't as, I thought it would just transfer something, you know, like a membership, but that didn't work that way. And then I, my phone blew up a few weeks ago. And uh, when my phone blew up, I uh, got a bunch of texts from my friends back east. And my phone, all these texts started going off on my phone from friends, and it said, we just voted you out. <laughs> we just voted you off the island, Matt, Right? The vote was 326 people for my withdrawal and 28 people were against it. I thank God for 28 people, right? <laughs> wow. You know, and I agree now, in defense of the United Methodist Church, I asked for this, right? <laughs> or God asked for this, right? You know? But if we don't surrender, God can't do anything new. Because, you know, just the other day, you know, another thing about this year for me was I would have gotten an award in the United Methodist Church for 25 years of service and ministry. I would have got this award. And it's kind of like a mark of ministry and everything. And I would have been at annual kind, but instead I got voted out. <laughs> uh, but I got an award this week. Not an award, but recognition. So I'm taking this as my 25-year certificate award it's uh yeah it, it's my ordination in the free methodist church so this will hang get i'll put this in my office but the why am i saying all this one it's not about me but it's about this act of surrender right god won't do anything new in god's i, I can't say that i can't say that I don't believe that God can new, do new things in any church without surrendered people. And I want to ask you to pray a prayer of surrender. That you would surrender yourself. That you would surrender your power. That you would surrender your church to him who is the head. Not to me, not to staff, but to Jesus who is all-powerful and has the name above every name to do whatever God wants to do in this church. And I believe, I didn't come here because I believe that this was a dying church. I don't believe this is a dying church. I believe God is here. I believe the DNA is here. I believe that God is going to do something in our church and we just gotta keep showing up to the table and be faithful, surrendered people to Christ. Let's pray. God, we come to you today and we forgive Pastor Matt for a long sermon. But we say thank you, God, for being the head of our church. We thank you, God, for sending your son into the world to lavish grace upon us, to adopt us into God's family, to call us to this faith and to call us to this table of grace. And God, we're learning how to love. We're learning how to love better. 
And you've already shown us the way in your son, Jesus Christ, when he gave his life for us. He surrendered his life for us so that there could be new life, a new covenant. And God, we know that newness comes with surrender. And so God, we, your people, have come to surrender to you and to your power and to your will and to your mission and to your people and to what you wanna do in our church today. So Lord, we lift hands in surrender today. We lift prayers in surrender today. And I invite you, just as an act of surrender, to stand where you are. If you are ready to surrender your life and your power to the power of Jesus Christ in your life and in your church, I just invite you to stand. Don't need to open your eyes. Don't need to look around. But just, God, if you are ready to pour out your spirit upon us, Lord, that you would do that. God, we are your people. We are here. We are surrendered to you, to your purposes, to your will. We are here to do your work, to serve you. So pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit on us and pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup on this table today that we can be your body, the body of Christ for this world. And you are our head. You are our leader. We are surrendered to follow you. And we pray together as you've taught your people to pray and we pray in unison at this table, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.